Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Iron List. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic for The Rap and Bloody Disgusting, and everybody calls me Bibbs. And The Rap is really cracking the whip on you. I'm writing a lot for them right now. You're, you're writing a lot of, like, listicles, which no, take a lot of work. they're lists. Listicles list. are just, like, here's a name and, and a sentence. Like, oh, yeah. and a, a, a list, of, like, a list article with actual, like, substantive content where you're writing thousands of words, mm-hmm. that's not a listicle. Okay. That's not, like, a little thing. No. No, I'm writing a lot of best of the decade lists for the rap. Mm-hmm. I've been very honored to do it. It feels like I'm doing it for some sort of posterity. So if you want to read my picks for the best... Let's see, what did I do over there? The best remakes of the decade, mm. the best biopics of the decade, the best musicals of the decade, the best animated films of the decade, and I don't think they published this one yet as of recording, but I'm also doing a list of the best comic book movies that don't have superheroes in them of the decade. Oh, oh I, I did one of those recently for uh, IGN. Oh, there you go. My name is Whitney Seibold. I write for IGN. You do. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. And, and I'm host of several podcasts, as you might know. Yes. Uh, and uh, here at The Iron List, it's a monthly podcast at the Critically Acclaimed Network, where we know people like list episodes, we know people like it when film critics uh, recommend a ton of movies, mm-hmm. and we wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. But we like to be very, very thorough, so we're only doing one a month, and our Patreon subscribers over at patreon.com slash network, they get to pick the topic. We give four topics every month, they're totally random they're not like best yeah, sci-fi not, movies best sci-fi action movies like totally just all over the place mm. and this month they picked perhaps unsurprisingly the best christmas movies ever what were some of the others like best gore films and uh, there were some other like completely they're completely unrelated topics we did like what uh, i think it was like best films of the 1970s or something was on there best mm. spielberg films was there an option go. i remember uh, that much yeah we um we wanted to keep it as open as possible. Uh, uh, something that's sort of a, a mandate from most uh, film journalism websites and mm-hmm. places where such things are published is uh, most of the topics you're writing about have to connect to something very directly. Uh, the yeah. season, a big, you know, something similar to a big release, mm-hmm. uh, something similar to uh, like a, a comment that maybe a filmmaker had said. You're, it's something that feels immediate. Something yeah, that feels yeah. like, oh, I got to check this out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes um, sense. There are a few uh, few topics that are what they call evergreen. They can be published at any time, and they're significant at any time. You can yeah. run into them years down the line, and the, there's still recommendations you can take. Uh, the best action yeah. movies ever would be something where, even though the list will be out of date in 10 years, there still might be good recommendations on that, and they'll still come up in Google searches. So that, yeah. cons- that is considered mm-hmm. evergreen. The lists are meant to be evergreen. These are just lists where we're going to muse whatever time of year it is, whatever we feel like, mm-hmm. whatever the topic it's going to be. Uh, however, it's the Christmas season, and you're all in a mood. <laughs> so we're doing the uh, top ten... Uh, we each wrote lists of our top ten Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. Now, William. Yeah. A lot of people, mm. you included, I believe, mm. have uh, Christmas tradition movies. Films you like to watch every December. Um, There's one movie that mm. I make a point of watching every single December. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole bunch of Christmas movies I really like, and I usually cycle those out and okay. like watch at least a handful every year. But I don't necessarily watch all of them every year. Mm. Yeah. But but there is one. There is have, one, and it's on my to list. Go back to okay. there's one, and it's on my list. Okay, yeah, you not so much. We had this conversation earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, th- there was one that from around age like fifteen to nineteen. 
Mm. Like just for that period, there was one I, I felt I had to go back to multiple times every year, but it, then I kind of left it behind. After is it on your list? It is on my list. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. Let us know which one it was. <laughs> okay. Now. And I and for if people have been following me and know that you know I've talked about Christmas movies a lot. Mm. Um, the movie that I love and is my personal favorite. Christmas movie, whether or not it's the best uh, that it, that I do watch every year, might not be a surprise. But if you're relatively new, maybe <laughs> it is. Who the hell knows? Uh, William is also uh, rather grievously infected by the Hallmark disease. Uh, <laughs> he, I've got Hallmarks all over is, my body. Yeah, he, he is, marks over here, marks over here. It's, it, well, it's not so much a disease. It's, it's, it's an addiction type of disease where he just can't stop going back. Yeah. It's just his hand reaches for that remote and turns on the Hallmark channel and he has to cozy up with some cocoa and see the blandest, worst mm. pieces of Christmas crap that the television can spew out. I would rather watch a video fireplace. Because those are actually kind of relaxing. Did a video fireplace make your list? No, it almost did. <laughs> but that doesn't that's technically not a movie, so yeah. no. Okay. Now, one, uh, one, one, Hallmark, do... one Hallmark movie did make my list. Oh god. We uh one year you and I did a commentary track for a video fireplace. That was a great year. That was yeah, that was really, really fun. I think it's still available somewhere. I uh, know it's, it's I think it's actually like officially available on this feed under oh, okay, a, yeah. I think it was an official episode of Cancel Too Soon. Oh, there. That's right. It, it might have been on a Patreon exclusive, but I'm pretty sure it's an official episode of Cancel Too Soon. Yeah. So one of our one of our Cancel Cancel Too Soon episodes was our commentary track for a video fireplace. We watched the whole thing, and we did a commentary track for it. Uh, we talked about the history of the video fireplace, where it came from, how the tradition got started. Yep, it is right there. It, it was uh, December twenty third, two thousand seventeen. All right. Uh, if you can search so, for it under C two number two S yeah. Christmas special Yule log commentary track. There you go. It was great. That please, was a, please listen to that. It was every, one of the better Christmas. things we've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> it, really it, was a, it was a great idea. I, I forgot if it was you or me who thought that up. I, that I, was a good idea. Who cares? It was still a good yeah. idea. Um, yeah. So uh, um, mm. while we're talking about Christmas, mm-hmm. um, is Christmas like important to you? Like as a holiday beyond just pageantry or oh, very giving much. presents. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Christmas was, was a huge, huge deal in my house. Uh, we had two every year. I had Christmas uh, at my mom's house, like, first thing in the morning, and that was, like, me, my sister, my mom, my sister's boyfriend, sometimes my stepsister, and uh, we would exchange gifts, like, just sort of as an immediate family, and then midday we would go over to my grandmother's house, and and my extended family was all local. Like, nobody had to fly in from out of town. My uncle is in Pasadena, my aunt lives in Santa Monica Canyon. We'd just sort of go to my grandmother's house in Santa Monica and... She did up Christmas right. She had hand-knit stockings for every family member Ooh. with their name and the date of their birth on it. That's cool. Except my- for my uncle, who didn't want how want it known how old he was, so <laughs> it just had his middle name. Nice. Uh, and, yeah, those things, they always had a big orange in the toe, and the, it was full of all these treats, and that's when we had, like, sort of a second Christmas. That's cool, man. Um, also, we went to church a lot, because yeah. we're a church-going family, and... Uh, the, our Christmas ser- we had two Christmas services on Christmas Eve. There was one earlier in the evening for the little kids, and then there was an 11 p.m. service, so you could ring. That one gets called. a little blue. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it only for the adults. At 11 p.m. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. <laughs> then they bring all the lights down, and we sing Silent Night, and then everybody lights candles, and the entire congregation is just candlelit. It's a beautiful service. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we were big on Christmas. We were not big on religion per se, uh, but we were big on Christmas. We you said, you said we... you're Catholic adjacent. So. Well, my parents were were lax Catholics, not lapsed, makes... but lax. No, yeah. yeah, like like vaguely, like God's a thing. 
Uh-huh. Try to avoid those uh, those <laughs> the, Ten Commandments. Those, Try to avoid the that sin things. Yeah, um, which which basically turned me into an agnostic and now an atheist. But <laughs> uh, but uh, we really did love the pageantry of Christmas. We love the mythology of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, storybooks of various kinds. The Jolly Postman Christmas mm-hmm. was one of my favorites. My mom got me a copy of that again, and I was like, Oh my god, this is still so damn magical. Yeah. Um, we had traditional Christmas dinners. We always had uh, prime rib every year and Yorkshire pudding. And mm-hmm. uh, our, for whatever reason, on Christmas Eve, uh, our tradition was to make chiapino, which is oh. a fantastic Italian soup with lots of okra. Ooh, all uh, right. It's delicious. Sounds amazing. It is. Um, and uh, every Christmas morning, it was this this fantastic event where like me and my brother would knock on my parents door for about an hour before they finally woke up and then they wouldn't let us into the dining room where the Christmas tree was until they'd had their coffee which of course Mm -hmm. they didn't put on a timer so they had to make it from scratch so we're dying (laughs) um it was great you mentioned uh, the your uh, stockings we had Mm -hmm. our own stocking traditions where my mom would take like the first denim jeans everyone in the family had Oh, okay. And she would turn and them into a stocking. That's great. Yeah. it was. Uh, so I had my own like denim jean stocking. <clears throat> my brother had his. My dad, obviously, she never had his first pants, but she did one for him as well. And for mm-hmm. her. Um, but it was great. It was lovely. And uh, we had a lot of Christmas watching traditions. Um, again, one of them is represented here. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I like Christmas a lot. Um, again, I'm not super religious about it, but I really do appreciate uh, the many positive qualities of the season, and I love that it has spurned an entire genre and subgenres of cinema mm. uh, about uh, either using Christmas as a thematic backdrop mm. or commenting on the fact that there's this one holiday, which in, in many respects religiously for, for a lot of people, but even just economically and societally, the entire year revolves around it. Yeah, yeah. It's really <clears throat> crazy. So Here's something I've noticed about Christmas movies in general. There are no Christmas movies that I could think of off the top of my head that are outwardly cynical about Christmas itself. I got one on my list. There are cynical movies that take place at Christmas time, but ultimately the season will get under your skin and turn you positive and jolly. I've got one example on my list. Okay. I think. I, I, okay, well, maybe again, you'll dispute it. I don't know. But I have one example where I think I thought it was fair to include one that was very critical of Christmas. Well, I, I have one that's where the, the season doesn't necessarily get under the character's skin, but it's not critical of Christmas. So right, we'll that, that's on my list. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> let's, let's get started. Uh, now, again, All what right. we do for these lists, we don't do a big old countdown mm-hmm. where we rank everything. We each have our number one, and we'll save that for last. But we're just going to go in whatever order we want, because we want you to see all these movies. It's not like <laughs> you should see ten less yeah. often than number nine. Who gives a crap? So, uh, Whitney, what is your mm-hmm. number ten well, pick? I, I think of... Let's see. I'll, I'll start with something that's only sort of tangentially Christmas-related, and this one is, I guess, arguably cynical about Christmas, but it's Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Uh, Interesting choice. It's Now, Brazil is a big sort of condemnation of uh, bureaucracy. It's the, you know, clearly Terry Gilliam has read a lot of Kafka, and he is, he is really kind of obsessed with the way... Uh, and he's lived in England a lo- for a long time, so the sort of notion of... Uh, propriety as sort of taking over and replacing the human soul is something that, that he's always been very interested in. How, how Christmassy. How, yeah, how structure <laughs> kind of takes over, it takes you over, and Brazil is, is about that, how essentially a clerical error ruins everybody's lives. Um, but it takes place at Christmas, and I think that is meant to denote a, a small glimmer of light 
in these like in these dark times. Now, it's treated very cynically because it is treated sort of like a commercial enterprise. Mm. Terry Gilliam but, is always very critical of commercialism, I feel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think he's very critical of that aspect of it. But there is a lot of love in Brazil as well. Uh, depending, and in fact, depending on the version you watch, it has a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> that he doesn't like that ending. No, he that was yeah. not his ending. That was the studio's ending. But that was the one you, you if you saw it in theaters, that was the one you got. Okay. Um, and again, it's like Blade Runner. You know, I guess you get to choose your favorite now because there's not really a, a authoritative is, version any is longer. The, is the original theatrical quote unquote happy ending of Blade Runner? anyone's favorite I'm, I'm no. That's, no I'm actually if oh. anyone I know a lot of people like saw it first uh-huh. and many cases had it for a long time before the director's cut came along mm. if anyone prefers the happy ending of Blade Runner which is you're right and I'm not, no, I, although I disagree no, it's, it's fine Blade if, or Brazil no, or, or Brazil or, or Blade Runner yeah. Yeah. Blade Runner or Brazil uh-huh. there's the mega happy ending that's theatrically released and then there's the original ending the quote unquote mm-hmm. real ending if you will uh, from the director's cuts. If anyone prefers the theatrical endings of Brazil or Blade Runner, please tweet us. Yeah. I would be fascinated. No judgment. No, no. I promise. Yeah, I can't promise other people won't, but we will not judge you. We were just fascinated yeah. because we don't hear about that a lot. So tweet us at Critic Acclaim if mm. you prefer those endings. I would be. I, I would love to hear from you. I, I prefer the bitter ending of Brazil. Um, Blade Runner. I don't really care because I'm not a big fan of that movie. Mm. But. Um, yeah, if, if you if you like the happy ending of Brazil, I would love to hear from you, and I'd love to hear an argument as to why that that ending works better. Uh, the the Christmas in Brazil is it feels like Christmas in real life. You're busy running around, you're shopping, you're just doing your job, you're going about your life, and occasionally, oh yeah, there's a Christmas over there. It's like some something to kind of remind you that there is something in the something beyond the action in the world and i I I think that kind of colors brazil in in a a christmasy sort of way i i I think that's fair Mm. i I tried to avoid films that used christmas mostly as a backdrop okay i wanted to be films there's one maybe arguably but i tried to use films that were actually like tangibly about christmas in some way all right you make an interesting point about how christmas sort of tints Mm. the movie and, yeah, like, and, and, like and I do have that, one, one other film on my list that, that's kind of like that, but yeah. Okay, fair enough. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Not my pick. Um, I don't actually, although it is definitely a backdrop, I, I really don't consider Brazil a particularly Christmas movie, but that's mm-hmm. fine. Uh, my number 10, while we're being cynical, might as well get this one out of the way, <laughs> uh, is a film that in many respects, you know, in terms of craft, mm-hmm. is very loose and even amateurish. However, I consider this to be one of the more potent and incisive condemnations of Christmas and all of its related entities. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Silent Night, Deadly Night. Okay. Um, Silent Night, Deadly Night is a movie that was very controversial when it came out in 1984. 84. Uh, because it was about a killer Santa Claus. Now, it wasn't the first movie to have a killer Santa Claus, but it was really prominently it was, promoted. It had a really mm. scary poster of like Santa climbing down a chimney with a fire axe. Like, mm. really creepy. Doesn't make any sense, by the way, if you look at it. Like, there's no way his arm would be out like that without like dislocating it. But <laughs> whatever. It was, it was a good image, it, scared, yeah. it scared the crap out of me as a kid. I didn't actually end up seeing this movie for a really long time. I didn't see it until I was in my 20s. Mm. And when I did, I was surprised because it had a reputation of being kind of a bad film. It's not. It's as good. It's a, it's a good slasher. Mm. But what I was really impressed by is how pointed it is about the holiday season. So, the plot of Silent Night, Deadly Night hmm. is there's a little kid, and he's visiting his grandfather in an old folks' home. And his grandfather has been catatonic for as long as anyone can remember. 
And the kid is left alone with the grandfather for a couple of minutes so that mom and dad can talk to the doctors and they figure, what's grandpa going to do? Say something horribly traumatizing. So the grandpa immediately wakes up and says, Hey, kid, Santa's real. And if you're not nice, he kills you. <laughs> and then he just goes back into his chair and kid's like, Mom, Dad. No one believes him. And then what happens is on the way home, they run into a guy dressed as Santa Claus who had just robbed a liquor store and killed the guy. So, boom, capitalism, the consumerism of, of the holiday right there. <laughs> Christmas is literally mugging people at gunpoint. Uh, and then the guy kill, like attacks and kills his parents in front of him. And then he is sent. So, so all of a sudden, oh shit, well that's real. You know, the idea of using Santa Claus to like adjust the behavior of children. And then the kid goes to a Catholic school where he is physically it's, abused it's, it's by an or- a nun. orphanage. It's an orphanage, but yeah. it's a Catholic orphanage. It's run yeah. by nuns. And he's physically abused for doing things that are considered naughty or a sin. And then when he finally gets out of that school, he's put to the only job he can get is in a fucking toy store. As and as at the toy store, he's asked to be the store Santa, on which is Christmas fine Eve. for a minute. But the second he sees anyone doing anything bad, uh-huh. he snaps. Mm-hmm. He's been through so much trauma related to religion, Christmas, and consumerism that all he can see are these extremes, and he starts doing what he was told mm-hmm. Santa's supposed to do. Kill people who are bad. And he goes on a killing spree. And there's a with ton of really memorable kills that are all related to the holidays. Christmas-themed kill. He strangles somebody with Christmas lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he impales someone on reindeer, reindeer antlers yeah. on the wall. He impales Linnea Quigley. Yep. <laughs> Bless Linnea Quigley. Always a good sport. There's yeah. one, I think my favorite one is um, there are people who are sledding downhill and he like decapitates them yeah. mid-sled. So they, by, when they get to the bottom of the hill, they have no head. <laughs> Great. The, 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 the headless body stays on the sled. Obviously, Silent Night, Deadly Night is not a film for the whole family. No, it's it's. I, and I understand why where the criticisms came from. It's it's a brazenly tasteless movie. But I would but say by design. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think it's because it's bad. I think no. it's because it's making a point mm. using the horror genre. Um, and it's kind of clumsy. And again, the cinematography isn't amazing or anything mm. like that. It's 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 kind of a workman like film, but it's so well constructed narratively. Mm-hmm. that I actually consider this to be one of the more potent films about Christmas from even a remotely negative perspective. Like, it's uh, very, very uh, critical, and I think it is not unfair. It just takes it to extremes for the sake of entertainment. Yeah. Um, it, has so, a, it has a terribly stupid ending, but, you know. Yeah, whatever. And, and then it led to some of the worst sequels in sequel history. That is true, <laughs> but that's not the first movie's fault. No. Uh, so, anyway, I, I really unapologetically, genuinely love Silent Night, Deadly Night. Mm. I wanted, There's another Christmas horror movie on my list, but that one, I feel, is kind of the er example of Christmas horror movies. And All I right, think it deserves a mention. What's your number nine, uh, no, nine well, for sake of... Well, let's do another one where Christmas is just sort of ancillary, but um, Billy Wilder's The Apartment. Is, I don't think it's is, ancillary. I think it's fair. Okay, because yeah. um, The Apartment is about uh, Jack Lemmon. He plays just sort of a boring salary man in a gigantic office with no cubicle walls, and he just sort of fades into the background. And uh, he has God, that shot of that uh, yeah, giant of, office with the oh, where he's just like sitting in the center and everything. Like, again, this is just like Brazil. How business yeah. is sort of like taken over the human soul, and uh, and I, I think I relate these because Christmas has become so commercialized that the business side of it is like the least Christmassy thing possible. Yeah. And yet, 
it's the thing that goes into overtime at Christmas time. No, no, so the it's, idea it's like how, Christmas is really important, but it's not important at all. To think these think about how many Christmas <clears throat> stories you've seen over the years that are about trying to get off work for the holidays, mm. or trying to spend time with your family the holidays, but you got to work, or oh my god, we didn't get our Christmas bonus, so we mm. can't have holidays anymore. It's all there, yeah. You know, yeah. Christmas isn't cheap. Well, what was what was his prize in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Uh, it was Some, money, but he was going to buy a swimming pool for the family. That was well, what it was, it was money, do. but it was it ended up being like uh, like a tea of the month club or something. Oh yeah, it was, it was some... like, or cheese of the month club. Yeah, I think it was yeah. like cheese. That's something about right. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a bunch of crap. Like like he he got like it would <laughs> instead be instead of a bonus, he got like a token gift. It would be like that's a nice gift, but it's not a good gift if you're expecting like a huge Christmas bonus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the apartment, uh, Jack Lemon has made a deal with his bosses. He's a single guy. Uh, his bosses are all cheating Lotharios who need pl- a place to take their mistresses. So he has said, to get in their good graces, you can use my apartment. Uh, sometimes to his own detriment. Uh, one evening he is kicked out of his own apartment and has to spend the night on a park bench and gets really, really sick. Uh, he finds a kindred soul it was the in... the Jelly of the Month Club. Jelly of the Month, that's right. You were close. Cheese, jelly, tea. Cheese goes with jelly? I suppose so. You put yeah. cheese, cheese on a jelly sandwich. Cheese, cheese jelly crackers, yeah. yeah. Very Provençal, grapes and cheese. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, you know the story of the apartment. If you don't, please see the apartment Well, we, and we did it's, an episode about it not that That's true. Ago, it's, yeah. it, it is just a, a great, unbelievably warm and yet very heartbreaking movie. He finds a, a kindred oh. spirit in Shirley MacLaine, who runs the elevator in his office building. And she has been completely mistreated by uh, Jack Lemmon's boss. Fred McMurray. Uh, for, played by Fred McMurray. Yeah. yeah. Who I only know is the absent-minded professor. So whenever I see him play like a heavy, it's still shocking to me. Yeah. When it should be the other way around. It's like, oh, he's, this heavy is now playing the absent-minded professor. It'd be if like Robert Englund played, was in Flubber. <laughs> <laughs> I like which, which I would have loved to see. That'd be great. I'd love to see Robert Englund play a comic role because he's actually a very funny guy. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Christmas is, uh, you know, the season, according to all of the movies, about sort of coming together and finding some warmth. And the apartment is less about the warmth of the season and the realization that you need to huddle together because the rest of the world is cold. And it's so honest and earnest yeah. about how cold the world is. And But not in a... In a like, it's bitter about it, but yeah. it's it's kind of wistful about no, no, it as it, well. It, it knows that there's goodness in people. It also yeah. knows that some people are just trash. Mm-hmm. And Billy Wilder in, is so cunning and frank in that movie yes. about the way that he reveals so wise and humane yeah it's it's a brilliant motion picture and honestly i probably should have put it on my list but i didn't quite make it you're mm. that's a really good pick um right. i'm gonna go with another uh while we're on established classics uh-huh. uh, i will go with miracle on 34th street the original oh, which yeah i was about to say which one there's the, like there's 12 of them okay there's the original miracle on 34th street there were 1946 i believe around there it was yeah. uh there were three made for tv remakes we're going to mm. review at least two of them in an upcoming episode of the canceled yeah, two soon monthly the movie fi- on our Patreon. 50, uh, two in the 50s one in the 70s there was a 1990s one with sir richard attenborough what well, lord richard attenborough sorry who is kind of great casting for santa like mm. he was like ooh, that's why we're doing it we can get him to play santa but the movie is really kind of perfunctory and doesn't work. Uh, and they changed the ending. Mm. So, like, if you're familiar with the ending of Miracle on 31st, it ends in a big court case and it ends with this really amazing moment where, like, aha! Uh, they changed the aha moment to something that is just limp and doesn't work. Uh, it's very disappointing. But the original is great. Uh, so the original story is about uh, a very kindly old man who looks a lot like Santa Claus, uh, who notices like in a parade that the parade Santa Claus is drunk. So he sort of like steps in and like, and becomes like a better Santa Claus. And he starts working for this department store 
And he's wonderful, and he's magical, and everyone loves him. But he's not pretending to be Santa Claus. He claims he is Santa Claus. (laughs) And he acts the part, Mm -hmm. and... People start worrying about his sanity to the point where at the end he's put on trial to see if he should be institutionalized. And the people whose lives he have improved all gang together to, ironically, prove that he's Santa Claus, which they don't even believe. (laughs) But they like him and they think it's a relatively harmless delusion. Mm -hmm. So what the hell? Let's go for it. And it ends in one of the great movie endings. like The the solution to the court case is brilliant. And if you haven't seen it, I won't ruin it. Um, it's a charming movie. It's a great concept because Santa, putting Santa on trial. Well, the idea was, you got to remember Santa as we know him, the Coca-Cola Santa Claus, still pretty recent when Miracle mm. on 34th Street, there are people who remember when that was invented, right. when Miracle on 34th Street came out. Like mm. there are people who was just like, that's not a thing. Coca-Cola literally invented that. Mm. And I actually think Miracle on 34th Street did a lot to legitimize Santa Claus oh, as a sure. character. Yeah. Not just as like as the story of Twas the Night Before Christmas, but like as the sort of institutionalized character we can all rally behind, even if we don't necessarily yeah. believe in him. Because it's just the idea of Santa Claus is a really nice idea. Mm. So what the hell? Let's go with the delusion. I'm, I'm sure there are like plenty of silent short films of you know Christmas stories, Nightmare Before Christmas readings that featured Santa. Sure. But I'm, and again, Twas Nightmare Before Christmas I, was already I, yeah. a thing, long since been a thing. I, I don't know what the first feature uh, appearance of Santa was. I would actually love to know that. Yeah. I don't know. That's we'd have, a good we'd have to call Alonso Duralde. We should that. call yeah. Alonso. In fact, I'm going to text him and see if he gets back to, to us. Oh, during the recording. <laughs> I'm going to see if he uh, gets back to us. By it. the way, I uh, used, it's right here in my hands. I can flip it so you can hear the pages. <laughs> uh, this is a copy of Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas by Alonso Duralde. It is an invaluable source book for everything Christmas movie related. Um, he has done his homework. He loves Christmas movies, and he has written essays on a couple hundred Christmas films in this. And, and every year, he's always yeah. incredibly productive and uh, putting out articles mm-hmm. about Christmas movies, famous and infamous yeah, and obscure, he, doing podcasts. So yeah, because of this book, uh, he was already a Christmas movie enthusiast, but because of he published this book and because he just continues to talk about it, he's the guy they call now. He's the Christmas movie guy. Yeah. So his he his, literally wrote the book on Christmas movies. So like, his, if there's his a court December's case are, <laughs> in which someone needs to prove whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas yeah. movie, Die Hard, Alonzo Duralde is the only critic you can get. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, hit up Alonzo, see if he'll, he'll get back to and us. And check out his book. Have yourself a movie, a Little Christmas. Still available. Um, go to Amazon and everywhere I, everywhere fine books are sold. But yeah, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Mm. It's a classic. And it's a classic for a reason. Mm. And I do love it so. And I think is it Ed, Edmund Gwen. Ed, uh, Ed, yes, Ed Gwynn. Ed Gwynn. Uh, Ed Gwynn is... He won the Academy Award for playing Santa Claus. He won Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars. One of the times they got it right. An iconic <laughs> performance. Of an iconic for, character. For yeah. the, it defined the character in a lot of ways. Like, really important mm-hmm. performance. Awesome movie. Let's move on. I still think there should be, like, a three-year grace period for the Academy Awards. I know. Like, we should be choosing the best films of 2016 this year. Or, or You're not wrong. Yeah, because you have, we, we have need a little, little bit more. Yeah, a little bit more context. Also, it gives critics a chance to catch. Up. <laughs> um, I have two films on my list that have Santa Claus in them. Uh, one of them is Bad Santa. Oh, interesting choice. Uh, ter- Terry Zwigoff's film. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton plays a mob Santa slash thief who poses as a mall Santa with his uh, com- his uh, compatriot played by Tony Cox, who's hilarious. Yeah. 
Uh, and during the Christmas season, they use the mall, their mall Santa position to essentially case the joint and figure out what they can rob on Christmas Eve when everybody's out for the holiday. Uh, good idea. It's a good idea. I, I mean, for a crime. Like, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't endorse it, but it's smart. Yeah, if, if, <laughs> if you're going to pull off a heist, Christmas Eve is a good time to do it. And, uh, as, and it, as it also turns out, uh, Billy Bob Thornton, Willie is his character's name, is also one of the worst people imaginable. Mm. In addition to being a thief who robs stores on Christmas Eve, mm. he's also a drunk, he's a Lothario, he is sexist, he is horrible. Yeah, he's, he's Bad Santa uh, is not just a fun title. Like mm. He's the probably the worst human being mm. who's ever been the subject of a Christmas movie. And mm. I'm including Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah. Because like, at, least, at least the kid from Silent Night, Deadly Night has scruples. Yeah, <laughs> like he at least—he's not going to kill a kid. Like you know, not that Billy Bob kills anybody, but in his heart, he has. He—he—he he, 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 uh, ends up crashing with a kid whose parents have essentially abandoned him for Christmas. Yeah, because he's awkward and just an unpopular kid. Yeah, and he is totally taking advantage of this kid, making the kid think that he's Santa Claus and treating him like complete trash. Yeah, and of course his heart. I'm not going to say warms or grows three sizes that day. It, you but know, it, it hits room temperature. It, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it reaches the level of average human being at one point. And the journey from com- the complete pit of moral depravity to average man is actually kind of exhilarating. Because we don't see that arc too often. I feel like I like Bad Santa mm-hmm. a lot. It didn't make my list or my honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. Because, and part of me feels like it is kind of the same joke over and over again. Oh, he's a terrible Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a good movie, and I think Billy Bob Thornton actually gives a really good performance, because it could have just been Will Ferrell nonsense. There's something yeah. about the way Billy Bob Thornton plays him as a guy who just genuinely hit this rock bottom. Yeah. And has and, been and there for so long, he has not to be anywhere else. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's surprisingly plausible, considering <laughs> how broad the concept well, is. It, the film was directed by Terry Zweigoff, who also did Crumb, and uh, like the subject of that documentary, R. Crumb, uh, Terry Zweigoff is unbelievably bitter about the human condition. Yeah. He, he does not believe in a lot. Uh, he kind of hates humanity. He is most certainly a misanthrope. And yet, Bad Santa, as I mentioned at, this, at the top mm-hmm. of the episode, doesn't have a lot of cynicism about the Christmas season. In fact, it's actually very positive about the Christmas season and the iconography of Christmas. It's just Willie and the people around him that it's bitter about. Yeah. Uh, it has some really great performer performances from uh, some really fantastic comedians. Bernie Mac is in it. Mm-hmm. John Ritter is in it. Um, some that are still alive. Are in it. <laughs> La- uh, is it Lauren Graham? Who Lauren plays? Graham. Lauren Graham plays a woman with a Santa Claus fetish, which is leads to one of the funniest taglines that I can't repeat. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty damn uh, Yeah, it, it, it's just an exhilaratingly dark, weirdly cynical, and yet weirdly warm film. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us in another direction because we've mm. talked a lot about famous like films and classics. Mm. I want to talk about a film that a lot of people uh, in America don't know about, mm-hmm. uh, but is, I think, a true, genuine Christmas classic. Uh, it is Satoshi Kon's Tokyo Godfathers. Oh, that's on my list, too. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it that's is. great. I love you, man. <laughs> All right, so Tokyo Godfathers. Tokyo Godfathers, which is uh, loosely inspired by the Western Three Godfathers, mm-hmm. uh, is the story of three homeless people in Tokyo, a runaway teenager... Uh, a trans woman mm. and a and a and an alcoholic, and it's on Christmas, and they all know each other, and they don't really like each other very much, but they're all part of the same crowd. They all hang out in the same areas, and mm. they're very familiar with each other. And on Christmas Eve, 
It's Christmas Eve, I think it begins. Yeah. Uh, they find someone has abandoned a newborn baby in a manger, like a mm. church manger. And all of a sudden, they've got this baby to take care of. And the journey they go on to take care of the baby, help the baby find either its parents or at least someone else to take care of it, it's like it exponentially gets more complicated. Like well, it's really like, incredible. It's like Yakuza and there's a guy dying in the street and yeah, yeah. There's, every, really everywhere they go, plot. there's another Christmas misadventure or tragedy that is averted or, and they all start at first. It starts out like, okay. And so everything seems like it's just going to be a series of adventures. And then about halfway through the movie, you start realizing that everything they've done has started to interconnect sometimes in ways they don't understand. Like they don't appreciate that this person that they met is connected to this other person that they met and that those people are looking for each other. And you start wondering, you start realizing that the simple act of trying to be good starts having a ripple effect and it is exhilarating. Like, it's excitingly filmed and really funny and sweet. Make it cry. There's so many great tragic backstories to it. But it's told in a way that's kind of like unlike any other Christmas movie. And boy, is it brilliant. Like, it's one of my favorite yeah, movies of and, its kind. And it's not uh, that these characters are... And this is something you don't see in animation a lot, uh, especially not American animation, where the, char- the these characters are really nuanced and complicated people, yeah. and they're not, they're not the types of people you see in movies, much less animated films. No. Like, uh, a, a homeless alcoholic teenage runaway and a trans woman are your heroes in an animated film? That's, uh, That's they, yeah. it's, again, there's no, fan- and, and in America, you'd, they'd want to have, like, a fantasy element or something like that. Yeah. No. That's not it at all. The fantasy is, the fantasy element is just, like, when you start branching out and exploring your community and connecting people to mm. each other, life is magical. Yeah. That's the whole point. Mm. And Tokyo Godfathers is absolutely incredible. Um, I believe it's available on 2B TV or one of those like free uh, streaming services right now, so you have no excuse. Okay. Please check this movie out. You will thank me. It is so good. And I'm so mm. glad I have an opportunity to share it with people because it doesn't get yeah. talked about enough and it is a classic. Um, it's on Crackle. I just Crackle. looked it up. It's on Crackle uh, TV. Sony's Crackle. Uh, right. That's Sony's streaming service. And not, it's free. You can not a great streaming service, but free. So go ahead and check it out. It's great if it gives you free movies. No, it's fine. Yeah. Just their commercials and stuff. So well, it's not yeah, amazing. But like, it's yeah. worth checking mm-hmm. out. Please go check it out. Okay. All right. What's your next one? Um... I have uh, two versions of A Christmas Carol. Okay. Uh, because you, you got to have at least one, right? Uh, I, I have one. Okay. I only have one, but yeah. Uh, one of them has... Is this a tie, or are they taking them two slots? Two, two different slots. Okay. Yeah. The first one has one of the best Ebenezer Scrooges. Uh-huh. Has the best music. Has the best gonzo. <laughs> it's, uh, I wonder what it could be. <laughs> it's The Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, um, that's on my list as well. Yeah, The, the Muppet Christmas Carol... Um, the Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island uh, gave me hope for a future of the Muppets that I wish had perpetuated to this day. I agree. Where they just did Muppet versions of literature. Yeah. The Muppets, you got to remember, everyone knows them, Kermit, Miss Piggy, whatever. They were a traveling group of entertainers. Yeah, they were stock performers. So and, it made sense yeah. to put them in productions of things. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen Muppet Romeo and Juliet. Muppet Romeo and Juliet. Muppet Midsummer Night's Dream would have been better. Well, that, that uh, may be but, slightly harder to sell the main. Romeo and Juliet, everyone knows. I suppose so. So Romeo and Juliet's easy, but um, like, just like you put them yeah. in every story, and that's a fun story. Yeah, I want to ser- see that. Seriously, Muppet Dracula is right there. But it's so obvious. You, you cast a human actor as Dracula, and everybody else is a Muppet, and that's a great story. Uh, 
<laughs> and and Jonathan Harker, sure, he's a human too. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, because yeah. uh, in this, I mean, now Jonathan Harker's got to be uh, a Kermit because Miss Piggy's got to be um, uh, Mina. Uh, Mina, okay. So it's so, Dracula. Yeah. Dracula is getting in the middle of that. I mean, you can have little celebrity cameos along oh, the way. Who would be a good Muppet human Dracula performer? Like who? I feel who, like we've who asked this be, question before. Yeah, I think so. You want someone who's someone with got, like a sense of humor, or a twinkle in their uh, eye, but also yeah. someone who's like feels like they shouldn't be with the Muppets. So well, a little too good for the Muppets. Well, yeah, like 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 Michael Caine when he did Christmas mm. and Christmas Carol. Everyone's like Michael Caine. Oh, okay, like Muppets? Tim Curry yeah. when Tim Curry did Long John Silver. Everyone's mm. like that makes sense. Yeah, like Michael Caine was like a little too good for this. Okay, so here's my here's my suggestion because you want someone young and sexy. Mm. Tom Hardy. As Dracula? Tom Hardy as Dracula is a good pitch anyway. Mm. Tom Hardy as Dracula with the Muppets, you just made $100 million opening weekend. <laughs> I'd see that. I'd, yeah. see, I'd see that multiple times. Right? <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Dear Muppets. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, Muppet the, Christmas The Carol. Muppet Christmas Carol is, uh, even though it has that weird sort of Muppet sense of humor and there's a lot of fourth wall breaking jokes mm. and uh, Gonzo and Rizzo are narrating and talking directly to the camera, mm. it feels weirdly authentic. Like one of the more straight up Dickens versions of A Christmas Carol. Because they never turn the emotional core of the story into mm. the joke. Yeah, yeah. The emotional core of the story is always real. Everything around it can be fun mm. and silly. And but but Scrooge's journey yeah. from asshole to wonderful human being, that's got to feel real. And they mm. knew that, and they kept that alive. And that's what makes it work. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the scary moments are genuinely scary. Oh, God, the death in that one's yeah. really good. Yeah, that uh, really got me when I was a kid. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, the warm moments are genuinely warm. And I think a lot of that is aided by the fact that no matter who you are or how hard your heart, you're going to have a soft spot for the Muppets. Yeah. They have this weird abiding quality. They they're have managed to outlive all of their oversaturation, oversaturation and, and overexposure. So yeah, Kermit shows up on screen and like, oh, Kermit. <laughs> He's great. He's all he sings Kermit. a song to young Robin. And yeah. Like, oh. and Robin is tiny Tim. Oh my God. <laughs> and he After says, all, there's Robin, only one more sleep till Christmas. <laughs> it says in the little Robin voice, God blesses everyone. Oh, oh Robin. Ah, it's so good. It gets you. And uh, and I, I loved how ethereal the ghosts were. And yeah, it took the mor- the morals very seriously as yeah. well. And so the... The drama was actually quite serious in the Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, no, I, I, I this is this is the mm-hmm. only Christmas Carol that made my list. That's there are actually okay. lots of good ones, mm-hmm. lots of good ones. Uh, we could do a whole list just of the best oh, Christmas, the Christmas Carol, Carol movies. Movies, In fact, there's yeah. a whole chapter and have yourself a movie of Christmas yep, just all dedicated the, all the Christmas carols. to all the Christmas carols. Um, yeah, we didn't have the time, but Muppet Christmas mm-hmm. Carol is very special to me, mm-hmm. and I also happen to think it's a genuinely great four star yeah, movie. Really. So, Here great pick. Uh, chapter seven, Scrooge Palooza. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> that is a, that is a great picture. Okay. Um, all right, I am going to uh, because we're twenty-two Christmas carols in this book. We're, we're actually running through because you've already picked some of mine. Okay, uh, we're running through like some of my picks kind of quick. So All I'm right. going to get to one that I was going to do first, but then you mm. made it like, you, you went the cynical route with Brazil, and it seemed like a weird transition. Mm. But the further we get down the list, the more out of place this movie seems. <laughs> so you got to bring it back a little I gotta, bit. I got I to gotta bring it back yeah. to the best Hallmark Christmas movie ever. Oh, God. This is a genuinely fun movie, and I genuinely mm. think that if this movie had come out in 1940, same okay. basic script, probably could have used the polish, but same basic script. And if it had starred... Barbara Stanwyck and Cary Grant, mm. this would be a beloved Christmas classic. Okay, you're, you're seriously handicapping right now, but... No, I'm just saying, the setup and the story is that is that simple and effective. Okay. 
It's called The Very Merry Mix-Up. And of course it stars the greatest Christmas actor of all time, Alicia Witt. Alicia Witt. Who's done at least 40 of these things by now. That's more like six, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, She is probably the best actor Hallmark has ever consistently had. Okay. She she really commits to it. She's really funny and she sings and she's great. The plot of Very Merry Mix-Up. Very simple. Uh, She is engaged to to a guy and she's never met his parents. Mm -hmm. They're going to visit his parents for the holidays. But just when she's about to board the plane and she's like, where, where, where is he? He calls and says, I got hung up at work. I'll take the next flight. Uh, but go ahead my, and, and just go on your own and I'll meet you there. Mm-hmm. So she ends up on the flight and she ends up in this town where she doesn't know anybody. And she stumbles into a guy who, it turns out, is her fiance's brother. Mm-hmm. And they get in a car accident and now they're concussed. And they have, oh, this, they have to stay up all night. In order to make sure they save don't... Save off shock. Yeah. Save off shock. So they are forced to just go back to their house and just do Christmas stuff while they are <laughs> trying not to pass out because mm. it's the only thing to keep them awake is, well, it's 2 a.m. I don't know. Want to make cookies? Yeah. So like all of those like cliches actually fit and make sense in the plot. Mm. And it turns out the guy's family are really sweet and she never really knew him. And what she doesn't know, but the audience does, is she's with the wrong family. <laughs> the guy she at the airport happens to have a brother with the same first name oh, and it just funny it just is really just a great setup and and it's a it's a very merry mix-up damn it that's a good setup for a movie the actors are really really charming and because it's got that hallmark safeness mm. It feels extra Christmassy. It feels like the kind of thing you but just want to snuggle up with at home and watch with the family. There's not going to be any genuine stakes here. Not really. There, might, there a, might be a little bit of a misunderstanding, but nobody's going to die at the th- end of the story. There's this moment where she finds out that she's with the wrong family, and mm. there's something that's like kind of horrifying. Like, wait, who are you people? <laughs> and then it turns out they're actually just like, and they're like, oh. Well, this was very awkward, <laughs> but they actually really like each other a lot. And then, of course, she goes to the other guy, and it turns out his parents are assholes. So, but like, it's it works. It's mm-hmm. like the er example of how to take a Hallmark Christmas movie and make it work. And I swear to God, same script, maybe a little polish on the dialogue to make it sparkle. Mm-hmm. This would be a hit movie if it was in theaters, but it's not. It's on Hallmark, so everyone like assumes it's crap. Yeah. But this is the one Hallmark movie that I would watch every year because it is just really exquisitely Christmas. Very merry mix-up. That sounds yeah. like something you'd see on the uh, Cap and Crunch box. Maybe. Oops. All Christmas. Trees. You can't. You can't imagine that that being a movie that like mm. Preston Sturges did a pass on in 1941. Oh, absolutely. It was like a B movie that yeah. is now very well regarded. And That's it, totally this movie. And I'd know about it, and I probably still wouldn't have watched it by, by yeah. now. But it's yeah. a very good movie, and I, if you watch any Hallmark. Hallmark right. Christmas movie, that's the one to watch. Right. Um, I, I'm going to bring it back to Scrooge. Go ahead. I think the final... We've had a couple Christmas carols since this, but I think this is kind of the final word on Scrooge, because you can't really modernize him beyond how, what they did in Scrooged. Yeah, Scrooged is great. Yeah. It, it feels like it should be the kind of movie that would have aged poorly because it's very mm. 80s, but actually it's kind of universal. Like it, It's definitely of its time. It came out in the late 80s, I think 88, and um, it's uh, very much this like uber-capitalist yuppie film that was reacting to what was going on in the late 80s uh, when, you know, with the rise of the yuppie. Yeah. And uh, Bill Murray... Just like Willie in Bad Santa plays like one of the worst Scrooges you've ever seen. He's just mm. he he works withered to the soul. Doesn't care about anything. He, he's and he's the head so, of programming at a TV station, yeah. 
And he's... Programming stuff like the night the reindeer died and Robert Goulet... What is it? Robert Goulet's Cajun Christmas Spectacular. (laughs) I forgot about that one. Um, But they're going to do a live production of a musical version of... Of a Christmas Carol. Of a Christmas Carol. Mm. And he wants it to be... Like, super intense. Like, I want the trailer to give old ladies heart attacks mm. because it looks so fucking crazy. There's a bit where they're just like, oh, we're going to put uh, antlers on mice. I don't know how that infects the story. Mm. But when they can't figure out how to get the, the antlers stick to the mice, he suggests <laughs> stapling them. Uh, have you tried staples? I'm not stapling antlers onto a mouse. <laughs> Um, what I appreciate about it, Scrooge, is that uh, one of the big plot points that just gets skimmed over in just about every version of A Christmas Carol is that Scrooge broke his fiance's heart. Yeah. He was engaged at one point to a young woman, and he was so business-oriented and so cold that he alienated her. Yeah. And she is treated as such a side story in most versions. Yeah, she's, just, Scrooge, she's just one of the sad things yeah. that happened to Scrooge. Yeah. Uh, in, in this one, Margot Kidder plays her, and she's great. Is it Margot Kidder? Oh, no, it's not Margot. It's the other Margot. It's uh, a Karen Allen. It's Karen Allen. Damn Sorry, it. I do that all the time. <laughs> I, no, no, I do, we're going to leave it. I do that all the time. Margot Kidder was in Superman. Karen Allen Karen was Allen's in Raiders of the yeah. Lost Ark. They look a lot alike. It was Karen Allen. My apologies to Karen Allen, because I actually like Karen Allen quite a bit. I like I, Margot Kidder quite a, quite a bit as no, well. No, they're just, it's like Dylan McDermott and Dermot Mulroney. Yeah. They look alike. I apologize to both of you. I actually respect both of you as performers, and I think Karen Allen is great in Scrooge, uh, because she's actually given a lot more... To, to work with. She actually is given a lot more screen time. And well, they, they, they her don't just, heartbreak yeah. happens very gradually. She's willing to forgive... Uh, Frank Cross is the Scrooge character. Mm. She's willing to forgive Frank of way more than she ought to. And we yeah. can actually see both of them kind of sauntering vaguely downward in their relationship. You know, one of the things I like about Scrooge is mm. a lot of the... Uh, even the better adaptations mm. of A Christmas Carol typically show you like only one or two scenes because he goes back to his past mm. he sees Christmas present he sees Christmas future it's usually only one or two things per visit yeah but with Scrooge you really get the arc of his life in a little bit more detail like you see him as a child mm. wanting to be you know wholesome for Christmas and how oh, uh, that neglect getting... and abuse yeah. turned him into he... someone who didn't care as much about the holiday because he... it made him safer he wanted a toy and his dad got him veal <laughs> It's a great cut of veal. He's like he's like three or four. I wanted a train. (laughs) Well, then get a job and buy yourself a train. That's good veal. It's like okay, that that's that'll start you on the road to bitterness. That'll do it. Yeah. Um, No, I love how seriously they take his story and how they go in more depth in his story. And I think part of that is because they show him not just having a moment Mm. with his fiance and then breaking her heart. You see the meat. You see how, like, at first it seemed like he was perhaps on the road to being a good person, and then you see him slowly lose it, Mm. and then you see it completely gone. You see the moment when she realizes that this isn't a guy with flaws, this is a guy who is broken, Mm. and I cannot, for my own mental health, be with you, Mm. even though I still care about your well-being. It's so much more heartbreaking in a lot and, of ways um, than a lot of other Christmas uh, and, Carol movies. And the reason I called this sort of the last word on Scrooge and how we can't really update it further than this is because that kind of ultra-capitalist yuppie mindset is kind of where Christmas has stayed. Yeah, we're still for, there. For the last couple of decades. Like, if and you did if this you were, movie yeah. today, it would be kind of the same thing. It would be pretty he, similar. He would be just sort of a cutthroat businessman. It might not be a TV studio. I mean, He'd you could update president. the business. Oh, there you go. He could be a corrupt <laughs> president, who's to say. But, um... 
yeah, this notion of the yuppie being sort of the bottom of the moral pile when it comes to Christmas commercialism is uh, is the best modern adaptation. Uh, I also want to give a lot of credit to Richard Donner, who directed this one. Yeah, this movie is made with a lot of visual verve, even more even more so than usual for Donner. It, it's it's almost like Ghostbusters and how much really, special effects. There it's are. really yeah. creepy when uh, when his version of Marley visits him and like dangles him out a skyscraper yeah, window. Like, there's a special effect where he pushes and Bill Murray play uh, Bill Murray, who's great by the way, of course. Uh, who, who plays the character as a complete asshole. He's so good at playing those like. Assholes who are fun to watch, st- fun to watch, and still you think they might be kind of redeemable. Like even Stripes, a movie where he's supposed to be the hero, yeah, uh, like a good guy, a kind of anti-hero is he's he's a dick in that movie. Oh, total dick. Uh, but yeah, he, he's uh, grabbed by the scrub, like his collar, and lifted off the ground, and then he pushes him through the window, and the willow- window kind of like ripples and lets him through like a bubble. And yeah, then he's just being held out over the street while he's outdoors, and the ghost is indoors. And it's a skyscraper. Yeah. He's like a hundred stories up. It's a and they film it mm. in such a way that it's scary. Yeah, and if if you've ever listened to just the score by itself, the score is uh, by Denny Elfman. It's great. Uh, back when Denny Elfman was really swinging for the walls and doing the gothic thing, uh, and you can kind of tell that they were going for a straight up horror movie initially, mm-hmm. and it wasn't going to be as Christmas Carol-y, but it's still through a lot of sections plays like a legit horror movie. Mm. And then Carol Kane shows up and you're just tickled pink while doing her scenes. <laughs> Carol Kane is hilarious Kane the is, Christmas present. is the ghost of Christmas present. Oh, and she's, she's, she's in this like white gown, like a kind of tutu, and she dances around and she's got the fairy wings and she's, you know, Carol Kane. So she's sparkly and has her, her small voice, but she's also incredibly violent. <laughs> it's goddamn like, funny. beats the shit out of him she's just so for great. no reason. We gotta move on, but if you've never seen yeah. Scrooge, you really must. It is a genuine Christmas classic. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about a couple of animated films now. Okay. Uh, I've already talked about Tokyo Godfathers, but these are more American films. Uh, I want to talk about, first off, it's a bit of a cliche, but damn it, it's one of my favorites, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, that, that's that's probably my number one, actually. Is that's, it really? Okay. Yeah. Well, the, this, why, don't we, why don't we save it? Okay. If that's your number one, I'll save that's it. it. It was the the one that I came back to here. You know, you know I will I will come back right. to that it's, and we'll save it. It's, it's a cliche, case, but we'll get to we it. Will, we, will skip, mm-hmm. we will skip instead to Arthur Christmas, a more... Modern, a more contemporary mm. animated Christmas film that did okay in theaters, mm. but for whatever reason doesn't have a huge cult, and it should. Mm. Uh, it's from Ardman Animation, the folks who brought you Chicken Run and Pirates, a band of misfits, and Shaun the Sheep movie. So they're comedy mm. geniuses. Yeah, uh, flushed away, notwithstanding. Yeah, flushed away, notwithstanding, they've made a series of just great films. Uh, Arthur Christmas was their first CGI, sorry, was their second CGI film, and they finally got it right. Mm. Um, the first one being flushed away. Yeah, which sucks. Uh, it, it's a really bad film. <laughs> it doesn't it's work just, at all. Ill-conceived from yeah, the start. The animation's bad. Like everything sucks. Okay, let's talk about Arthur Christmas because it's genuinely classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it uh, takes place at Santa's uh, workshop. Mm-hmm. Santa, played by Jim Broadbent, is about ready to retire. His father, Santa, who is still alive, turns out there's it, it, Santa Claus is an intergenerational thing, and you yeah. you take up the mantle when yeah. So so Jim Broadbent took over for his dad, who is still alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he's at the point where he's just getting a little forgetful and probably shouldn't be in charge anymore. Mm-hmm. He's just he's fine. He's just probably shouldn't be the front man anymore. Okay. So, but he's got two sons, mm-hmm. and everyone assumes that the role of Santa will go to his older son, played by Hugh Laurie, who is awesome. He's really cool looking. He's got a Christmas tree shaped goatee. Uh, he's uh, all military minded and like. 
gets everyone up in shape, like a really cool, like uh, uh, like Patton, and, and like he's like really broad-shouldered, handsome dude too. Yeah, and he's he he's really good at every single thing he does. He has got everything Christmassy down to a science. The sleigh has been upgraded to the point where it's a giant UFO. Uh, the the elves are ninjas now, who have like expertly trained to not be seen, uh, and they have like high tech technology to help break into houses where there are no chimneys. It's awesome. Mm. And then there's his little brother, Arthur, who is nice. That's what he's got. He's just a nice guy. He's just a really nice guy. He's a bit of a bumbler. He's not bad at anything mm. per se, but he's clearly should not be in charge. Mm. And at the beginning of the movie, it's Christmas Eve. Santa has just returned after delivering every present. But Arthur and one of the elves notice mm. there is one present that has gone undelivered. <gasps> Now, they bring this to his brother's attention, and his brother's just like, Alright, well, that's unfortunate, but that's still an incredible ratio. Uh Surely we can let this slide. And Arthur's like, no, every child is important. Mm. And so we're going (laughs) to deliver this, even though we have less than an hour Mm. to get through all around the planet and get this this kid delivered. Also, I don't have the sleigh, so I have to use the old sleigh, which I don't know how to drive. So it's this race against the clock to deliver one last Christmas present. Mm-hmm. And it is charming, and it is funny, and it is fast-paced, and it has a really great heart. And it just completely mm-hmm. indicts even the slightest iota of cynicism at Christmas. Oh, okay. It's just... Oh, it's so good. There's a bit where the elves finally find out that mm-hmm. uh, Arthur's older brother like isn't going to deliver one present. And they're just like, oh, but they didn't deliver this gift! And he's like, "What? Well, one doesn't matter! Mm-hmm. Which child doesn't matter? Which specific <laughs> child? You're telling me that one specific child, only one on the planet, hmm. doesn't matter? And he's like, oh shit, I've gone way too far. It's so good! <laughs> it's so smart, it's so funny, it's so earnest, it's so moral in a way that like is totally befitting the Christmas season. It's a perfect animated movie. I love this movie. Yeah, and a lot of people missed it. Please go see it. I, I've missed it, so I can't comment on it. Fair enough. Let's I've, move on. I've been staying very quiet, because I have no idea what the movie is. It's okay. You should totally... I, I've, been, I've been asking you to watch this one for a while. Please yeah, watch it sometime. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Uh, moving on. Uh, one of the greatest proponents, uh, one of the champions of Christmas cinema is Shane Black. Oh, yeah. Uh, almost every single one of his films takes place at Christmas time. Um I think they all do. Uh, Christmas only plays into the nice guys. I think a little bit. Is well, it isn't the, the Predator is at Halloween. The pre- oh, that's right. The Predator is at Halloween. Okay, it's also his worst movie. Um, yes, but, it is. <laughs> but even, By quite a lot. Yeah, even even Iron Man Three is a Christmas movie. Um, but uh, his his best Christmas movie, the one where he was able to play the most and be the most Shane Black, the Shane Blackiest of Shane Black movies, is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I agree. Uh, it, it is a noir film with really hilarious characters. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer are perfect. No. They have wonderful chemistry because they hate each other. <laughs> Michelle Monaghan, good God, why was she never a gigantic super humongoid star? I don't understand it. She's so talented. She's really talented. She's really funny. She's really game. Uh, yeah, that, that she never... Never became, like, the A-list celebrity she deserved to be is a little bit of an injustice. Uh, and it's all, it's a noir film, it's a detective story, it's sort of a murder mystery, uh, where Val Kilmer plays a private detective who has, uh, Robert Downey Jr. as 
somebody who accidentally became an actor. Robert Downey Jr. was a thief. He was a thief. He was running from the cops, and, and he, he stumbled into an audition, and he accidentally got the part. And well, because his his partner in the heist was apprehended, and he was so distraught during this audition that they thought he was acting, even though he was literally like legitimately breaking down in front of these audition people. It's like, oh, great, yeah. you're going to get the part. Uh, you need to know what it, what the ins and outs of playing a private detective are, so you get to do like a ride along with this real private detective, yeah. uh, whose nickname is Gay Perry, yeah, he's, and, he's and they gay. make and they make jokes about it, and uh, in a way that's, that's, that's in a way that actually is pretty funny, yeah, kind of a, in, in a tasteful way, and uh, they together these two guys who are completely mismatched and hate each other have to solve a, a real, real legit crime. And yeah. over the course of it, we learned that uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character was being used as a pawn against Colin Farrell. Uh, <laughs> Colin Farrell it, wanted more money, yeah. so they were so they get... cast somebody else just to to scare him and get him over here, yeah, yeah, bring, less, his, bring his price down. <laughs> it's a great throwaway gag, but um, all of it is not just set during the Christmas season, but every single clue is kind of informed by some Christmas element. Mm. Like there, something comes out at a Christmas party or somebody's dressed as an elf or, you know, what was going on because of the Christmas season. Uh, this is not just a film where the Christmas season is in the background. It's in everything. Yeah, no, this in is, all, no I agree. This is, this is yeah. totally, it's, it didn't quite make my mm. list, but this is yeah. totally a Christmas movie. E- every e- way. Even though the plot points are about like, oh no, oh no, the dog has my finger. Oh, well, it's not a problem anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's, it came out in the mid two thousands, I think two thousand five, and uh, it was touted highly by all the critics who saw it. Mm. Uh, I saw it twice in theaters. I really, really loved it. I took my mom to see it, and uh, critics have been on its side since day one, and mm. have been really kind of pushing it. And I think we've pushed enough that people are now finally aware of it. I, you know, it, it, it made almost no money at the box office mm-hmm. to speak of. People totally overlooked it. There was talk about maybe it'll get nominated for an Oscar for Best Original mm-hmm. Screenplay. Obviously, it didn't happen. Uh, it helped revitalize Robert Downey Jr.'s career mm-hmm. to the point where people saw that he was good now, mm-hmm. that he was like, he could lead a movie. Well, it was, was really funny. And, and as a result, it's one of the things that helped get him Iron Man. Yeah, well, he was... I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is a very talented actor, and he's right. always uh, wanted to be sort of a bigger star with access to bigger projects. But he, so ran, a foul st- of, he ran a foul of drug use. He, it's true. He yeah, was, that was he, my he thing. Was, he, he, he was considered unreliable, not a box office draw, yeah, yeah. but Kiss Kiss Bang Bang proved that he was back, and he was really great, and he, he could was, handle a big movie. Yeah, he, he had tried things, like, he tried the singing detective, and that, mm-hmm. that was a little too yeah, odd, he was always acting. Project. He was but always yeah, acting, was, but yeah. But this was during a period when he was, like, giving himself a big push. This was supposed to be the one yeah. that was going to push Robert Downey Jr. And as it turns out, it kind of was. Yeah. Even though it wasn't a big hit, it kind of got Robert Downey Jr. back on the map. No, it's a great And movie. he and Shane Black ended up working together in Iron Man 3, which is, for my money, one of the best of that series. I agree. Um, I love Christmas noir films. There aren't mm. enough of them. You just reminded me of one I just want to give a quick honorable mention to. was mm. uh, Lady in the Lake, mm. uh, which was the directorial debut of actor Robert Montgomery. Uh, it is a Raymond Chandler novel that is told entirely in first person. Okay. The whole movie, and this is a 1947 well, film noir. Well, no, no, noir novels are typically told in first person. No, but, but the no. camera is oh, the protagonist. Like, okay, okay, okay. So every actor is acting to the camera. Every time you're talking to mm. a femme fatale, they are trying to seduce the audience. Mm. It's gimmicky, obviously, and doesn't always work, but it's interesting and it's quite good. Mm. Um, my next, uh, my next pick. How many do you have left? Oh, let's see. I, have, I only have three. Uh, one. Yeah, I also I also have three. Okay, great. Uh, well, I guess two because you mentioned Nightmare Before Christmas already. Well, but, but yeah. we're gonna we're gonna talk about it in more right. detail in a second. Um, all right. Well, I am I am running low, so I might as well pull out the big guns. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it's a Wonderful Life is yeah, perfect. That's, that's on my list as well. Yeah, it's a Wonderful Life is it's a cliche it, it, it to love. It's a Wonderful Life, unassailable. but there's certain classic movies that are just classics for a reason, and mm. It's a Wonderful Life is damn near flawless. Like I can't think of any meaningful issue I have with the film. Yeah, well, I mean, Capra has made so many just great classics over the years. Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is one of the great American films. It happened one night, Uh, changed the entire rom-com genre forever. kind of invented it in a big way. And uh, It's a Wonderful Life is just one, yet another classic from Frank Capra. Uh, Frank Capra was believed in American optimism in a way I don't think even politicians do. But the difference uh, between the way Frank Capra believed in optimism mm-hmm. and the way a lot of people try to sell you optimistic movies, like, for example, Hallmark, mm. is Frank Capra knew and tr- also believed that the world was full of terrible people. Mm-hmm. He knows that they're out there. Yeah. But he believes that optimism isn't just the only thing that's out there. He believes optimism can persevere. Yes. And as a result, his movies, even when at the end everything turns out okay and it feels, you know, really like, oh, and everything's going to be great forever, it feels like you earned that. Yeah, yeah, yeah for like, sure. Like, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is not a story about a guy who has it easy. He works his ass off mm-hmm. to get that happy ending. And, and the, same with It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, It's a Wonderful Life is actually about a, a beleaguered uh, businessman who contemplates suicide. And yeah, it's the, about seasonal and depression. And that is actually a huge part of the movie. The, the conceit of It's a Wonderful Life, which has been ripped off innumerable times by other sources is uh, a man is in sort of a bad bad state uh, sometimes contemplates suicide but usually that's the thing mm. and in the case of It's a Wonderful Life it, that's, what he's, it, that's what he's doing and he is then uh, all of a sudden in order to save him visited by an angel from heaven who takes him to a parallel universe where he never existed. Yeah. So we can see how the world would be a lot worse off without him. And before that we see the so no, we see an, an angel explain to the other angel mm-hmm. What happened in James Stewart's life? And if I'm just saying this right now, no angel at all. If you take the angel out of this, mm-hmm. still a great movie. <laughs> Everything that happens well, just, to him is really great and exciting and funny and romantic. What I was going to say is that part, that conceit of the movie, happens in the last quarter of the film. <laughs> yeah, the entire build up to that is a kind of a a good way of telling the story of more or less the fall of George Bailey. Yeah. Uh, played by Jimmy Stewart. Uh, he is a, a small business owner. He owns a... Is it like a savings and loan? It's a savings and loan. It's a savings and loan. He it's, inherits yeah. it from his dad. He has a savings and loan, and it's a very honest savings and loan, and he it's very forgiving, and it's very uh, open to the local community. It's a very sort of small business mm. forward movie. The only other the only other business mold. of its kind in town mm. is a giant bank oh, run, right. but one with Kafka-esque intention mm. by the horrible Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter. <laughs> Uh, one, one of the great film villains, Mr. Absolutely. Potter. And, um, yeah. and he's constantly trying to buy the savings alone because it's the only competition but, he has in town. Mm. The only thing keeping him from running everyone's life in the and entire economy. Mr. Potter is so aggressive and running this business has become so difficult that we actually get to see George Bailey crack. Yeah. Not, and not just by the end when he's ready to commit suicide. We get to see how he's slowly giving bigger and bigger pieces of himself up we see to him, his depression. We see when he was young, he had mm. dreams. He wanted to go to college. He wanted to visit other countries. He wanted to travel. And we see over the course of the film, he never got to do any of those things. Mm. Because he was constantly forced to put other people's needs ahead of his own. And he did it because it was the right thing to do. But when all the chips are down, all he sees is he failed. Mm. He failed 
the big savings and loan is failing, his family is falling apart, he didn't get to do anything he ever wanted to do, he may as well have never lived. And the whole movie is a suicide intervention Mm. that is basically God (laughs) coming in and just saying, if Mm. you hadn't lived, there would have been a ripple effect and every good deed you did would have been undone Mm. and the world would be a worse place. And you believe it because you saw the story. Mm. And when all of a sudden characters are doing different things at the end, you know who they are. You Mm. know what they were supposed to do. You know those characters so intimately because it is so beautifully written and there are no small parts in this movie. Everyone with one line of dialogue (laughs) is a memorable character. Mm. It's so well constructed. So at the end, when it has this fantastical ending, again, it's 100% earned. And I was very close to putting this as my number one. Which would have been totally fair. I I just did it because there's another, as I said, Mm. there's one movie I watch every year and it's my favorite. Mm. I allowed myself one list where I let the number one be my favorite Mm. and not necessarily the one Mm. I'd say the best. And when we did our podcast about what we would put on the Sight and Sound top ten movies of all time, Mm. I put It's a Wonderful Life on there. Which was, I I put Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, so we both got the Capra Yeah, exactly. uh, Yeah, anyway. Yeah, It's a Wonderful Life. Perfection. Yeah, it's unassailable. You can't yeah. can't can't touch that one. All right, and uh, your let's see. Um, was your number two? Uh, my number two. Uh, sure, I'll say Black Christmas. Why not? Uh, I, that was my number eleven until okay. I remembered I hadn't put Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street on it. I was oh, like, right. oh, that was my number ten. And I was uh, yeah, Black Christmas came out in the mid seventies. Uh, it's often credited as like the first proper slasher film as that we came to know them. Mm. A lot of people credit Halloween. I think it's a combination of Halloween, Texas Chainsaw, but. Mostly Black Christmas. Also, the uh, uh, an underseen TV movie Home for the Holidays. Oh, right. Home for the Holidays which is, is also most, a Christmas horror movie. It's also a yeah slasher film from the seventies. Um, all of these things kind of led to an entire movement in horror that is very dear to me personally, mm-hmm. because I watched so many as a youth. It's it's a fade that came and went, but it's something that's still talked about in hallowed terms by men my age, more or less. Yeah. But I love slasher movies. I love Black Christmas, because Black Christmas, directed by Bob Clark, who had gone to do A Christmas Story... Mm-hmm. Which uh, neither was <clears> put on our list. Good for us! No. <laughs> Overrated film. Uh, I, I, fine. It's, fine. It's really lovely, but it's yeah. not in my top ten. Here's my comment on A Christmas Story. It was meant to be a satire of Christmas, and yet somehow it became a legit Christmas classic. Yeah. Uh, I guess because a, a lot of people could recognize all of the the pains therein, but it was I supposed think, to be I think about. You know, it's funny. It's it's funny, but it was supposed to show how horrible and petty people are, even around the warmth of Christmas time. And it became symbolic. It became a, a symbol of the warmth of Christmas time. Yeah, which You're is, right, which which is, is ironic. completely ironic. Yeah. Uh, it was meant. Yeah, it was meant to be kind of deconstructionist, and ended up constructing. Uh, but yeah, a Black Christmas is about a sorority house that's being stalked by a mysterious obscene phone caller mm. uh, and this one actually has Mario Kidder this one has Mario Kidder <laughs> no this one has Karen Allen no, uh, this one has Mario Kidder in it yeah and Olivia Hussey uh, uh, Olivia Hussey uh, yeah, yeah the, the main character uh, John Saxon plays the cop uh, who also played the cop in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Cara Delea plays uh, the boyfriend. Yeah, and um, the big drama is actually uh, very politically relevant because it was an abortion story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of talk about he has he and his girlfriend are pregnant, and there's a little, lot of talk as to what they're going to do with yeah. the baby. She and doesn't want to keep it, she, yeah. and him not being able to control her body mm-hmm. is driving him insane, and we start wondering if he's the killer. If he's the killer yeah. be- because, and uh, this was... If, shortly after Roe v. Wade, okay, so this I, was like I, really tapping into something. I, I, I recently I actually just put a post because the mm. new Black Christmas remake, which is coming out this, uh, or, or I think by the time this episode is out, had just come out. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of people are criticizing it for being too political mm-hmm. and like too topical. Like, oh, when did you just make the movie? Uh, the original Black Christmas came out one year after Roe v. Wade. Okay, and, there we go. Yeah. And someone corrected me actually because, and it's a good point because although that is that is true, it came mm-hmm. out one year after Roe v. Wade. Uh, it's a Canadian production, and it came out five years after the Canadian similar legislation. Okay, so it's still it wasn't an American film. It's probably wrong to put it in those terms, but this was insanely topical at the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah this is a sure. very political film. But most most horror films are. There's yeah, a comment of like the, they're the, not subtle. The, the monster represents something, guys. Come yeah, on, it's, it's never, very rare it's, that it's actually about nothing. If it's just a killer, that's a bad film. Uh, Pretty much. But yeah, uh, it, we don't see who the killer is. It is a who done it because a lot of the earlier slashers were. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't until like Jason sequels where we just wanted to see the monster that it became uh, less of a who done it. Yeah. Uh, and Bob Clark does an, an exemplary job of a keeping everybody like kind of pleasantly misdirected. Yeah. Uh, providing us with a lot of really creepy kills. Oh, uh, the, really the, super spooky well, the way yeah. this movie shot. Unfortunately, they kind of ruin one of the best shots on the poster, but it's the person wrapped in plastic who's just suffocated and tied to a rocking chair. Yeah, I know. It's a great uh, image, though. I mean, it's terrifying, but like, it's a great yeah. image. I get why they keep and, going. Yeah. But more than anything, it's those fucking phone calls. Those scary phone calls. Get under my skin. (laughs) The phone calls in the original Black Christmas, Mm -hmm. they're really amazing because, first off, they're just creepy Mm -hmm. and they talk about murder and sex and all kinds of... And they they got like three or four... Yeah. Or I guess two or three actors to kind of shout over each other on the phone so you're never really sure who's speaking or how many people are on the other end of the phone. Yeah, that's the thing that really fucking gets you because it's Mm -hmm. not just one guy. It's not like the movie in Scream. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, you know, obviously took some pages from this movie. But in Scream, you know it's that one guy. You mm-hmm. know it's Ghostface. So you, at the end, you find out it's more than one guy. But, like, mm-hmm. you know it's the one voice. Because it's, like, the 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 creepy phone calls don't make sense. Mm-hmm. It kind of almost makes it seem supernatural a little bit. It, it seems like, it like they're yeah, a, little, like a little weird. Like, like they're weird getting a call, yeah, a call from the ghost dimension or something. Yeah, it's just it's, really freaky. It's really... You, you can't, like... You can't easily write it off as mm. that's just a crank call. It's actually like something really off is going on. Like I don't mm. know what it is, but I'm really uncomfortable right mm. now. I think we should leave the house. Like it's yeah, just yeah. it's really spooky. It's a truly terrifying movie. Uh, it is called it's called Black Christmas. Again, Christmas plays very strongly into it. What is happening on a on a campus at Christmas time? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the actual circumstances of the season are important to the plot. I, th- I think so. I think it's, um, um, I mean, again, it's a lot of it is, I mean, a lot of it's about women's liberation mm-hmm. at the time, and there are all these really independent-minded women who are mm-hmm. all living together. Mar- and Margot Kidder has one of the best laugh lines in the movie. Oh, she's yeah. just hilarious the entire film. Right. She's basically playing a drunk. And she's just, she's <laughs> but, just she, but she's she's like kidding the cops all the time. Yeah, no, like she, she's just very, mm-hmm. very confident and cocky, and she's absolutely hilarious. And yeah, you you just see like it, it actually is a kind of a good double feature with The Exorcist in a lot of ways because it is sort of the '70s moving away from a lot of religious institutions. Here it is mm. Christmas time, and what are these people doing? They're getting drunk. Yeah, they're hanging out. Which they're kids, they're, of course, they're, they're part- going to do yeah, that partying. But like, it's something like there's something that's a little like uh, subversive mm. about setting it at Christmas and having it be about. Murder and abortion mm-hmm. and and and, and, yeah, and just the, and just the, booze. Yeah. Like it's something that's, the, the, the that's subversive of, about that. This, yeah, the sort of a breakdown of the the warm version of Christmas, and but not in a cynical way. I think yeah, it's, it's not Silent Night, Deadly Night. I don't I think, think it's. Like it's about I think that. it's very kind of realistic and yeah. kind of very frank and earnest about 
those things. Yeah. No, it's a it's a classic, mm-hmm. and it was on my top ten until I remembered Miracle on 34th Street wasn't. Yeah. What What's your number one? What's your, your Oh, my number head? one, because yeah. we're going to get to my other mm-hmm. one when you do your number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number one is my favorite Christmas movie, and although I would argue that there may be other more perfect movies mm-hmm. about Christmas, this is the most Christmassy movie I got. Mm-hmm. Christmas in Connecticut. Okay. It is Wh- not which, which version of the Christmas original name? Christmas. Okay. In, okay. There are not two versions. Version? There are two versions of Christmas in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. One starring Barbara Stanwyck, which is I, I argue the best Christmas movie ever. It's, certainly, it's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one was directed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> it's the only feature film he ever directed. It is a made-for-TV remake of Christmas in Connecticut, starring Diane Cannon, Chris Christopherson, and Tony Curtis. What? Yeah. It's not... Okay, first off, it's not nearly as bad as you'd think from that description. That sounds like it's going to be some kind of weird, mm-hmm. crazy, train wreck, Golden Turkey Awards fiasco. <laughs> it's actually weirdly bland. It's, it's fine. Like, yeah. it's, just, it's just a TV movie. Like, it's a fine TV movie. There's nothing really bad about and, it. And there's nothing... It's kind of weird. There's but, nothing in it that would suggest Schwarzenegger directed. Like, no! Like, there's no, there's no clues. There's no... Int- he has, like, one really brief cameo. But and it's a it. voice cameo at yeah. that. But, uh... Like he, Schwarzenegger also directed an episode of Tales from the Crypt, and that was all about bodybuilders. And he spends a lot of time on Muscle Beach, where he used to bum around when he was a professional bodybuilder. So that one kind of tracks. It makes sense that Schwarzenegger would direct something like that. I interviewed Christmas Arnold... in Connecticut is such a bizarre thing. I interviewed Arnold Schwarzenegger for like three minutes once at a junket, and I had okay. to talk about the movie he had just made, which is the movie oh, Sabotage, yeah. which I kind of like. But... So you get you get like two questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I yeah. really want to ask. I just want to know. Why do you love Christmas in Connecticut? Like we, I've never heard you talk about it. <laughs> I just want to know, like what, why? But okay, fine. Um, I was friends with Diane Cannon. What do you want? <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, but no, the original Christmas in Connecticut mm. is a really, really good. I, I love the way this movie begins because it's a movie about Christmas and farmhouses and great food and friends and family, and it opens with a battleship getting blown up because it opens in it's in World War Two, mm. and. Uh, a battleship gets blown up, and two sailors are on a life raft for days, and they're starving to death. And then they get picked up, and they are, uh, you know, one of them is, like, considered a great hero because he let the other guy eat all the food, but now he can't have good food. And so he, uh, he, a long, 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 long story short, mm. the nurse taking care of him decides that this guy needs to sh- have the perfect Christmas. Okay. So she writes in to her publisher, who's, like, kid she nursed back to health and says hey you have working at your publishing company basically the Martha Stewart of the 1940s would you please for a publicity stunt bring this guy in and have give him the perfect Christmas and it would be great because then maybe once he sees that Christmas is nice and families are nice he'd want to marry me so they do problem is they're Martha Stewart can't cook it's a lie She's no. lying about everything. <laughs> it's all staged. She doesn't have a farmhouse in Connecticut. She can't cook. She doesn't know how to fix anything. Mm. Every single thing she has been writing about is a fucking lie. Mm. It's just Barbara Stanwyck with a tin of sardines and a typewriter in a studio apartment in New York City lying her ass off to the entire world. Yeah. And now, because her editor, who's played by the great Sidney Greenstreet from, uh, Cas- from uh, Casablanca and Maltese Falcon... Mm. Because he won't take no for an answer. She has to fake it. So she has to find a farmhouse in Connecticut. She has to find a husband. Unfortunately, she said she has a baby. Like, there's a baby. 
So she has to come up with a baby. She has to bring in her, like, Uncle Felix to come in and cook when they're not looking. <laughs> and it's this huge, elaborate web of lies. Mm. And then on top of it all, because she's got to pretend to be married. Mm. She's got to pretend to have a kid. She's got to pretend to be the mom of Amer- of all of America. And then, the, so- and then the, the, the sailor shows up, and she immediately falls in lust with him. And he immediately falls in lust with her. And the entire movie is, although they... We, they don't know. He doesn't know that it's not illicit. Mm-hmm. It's an extramarital affair, and they're going for it. <laughs> and she's just saying, like, oh, what would you say to me if I wasn't married? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And it's really naughty. <laughs> like, it's really, you should not be doing that. That's so, that's that's, so that's, risque. It's a good, well, it's a good way to have risque jokes without it having actually be risque. Yeah. No, this is one of those movies that kind of set a template. Mm. For like this kind of Christmas comedy, the sort of mistaken identity Christmas comedy, mm. the lie that has to be the, uh, perpetuated, the, and it's sharp, the, it's funny, it's very Christmassy. There's Christmas music, mm. Christmas meals. There's a, the best Christmas tree I've ever seen in any movie. Mm. Barbara Stanwyck is Barbara Stanwyck, so she's perfect <laughs> yeah. at everything. The supporting cast is impeccable. Una O'Connor is in it. I rest my case. Oh, well, fine. I rest my Look, case. Una O'Connor is in this movie. We need to have. I wish we had an one immortal Uno O'Connor yeah. who was perpetually sixty nine years old <laughs> and was just always the, the 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 screaming old woman. Yeah, Uno O'Connor was a was a character <laughs> actor who mostly worked in the thirties and forties. Mm. She was in everything, yeah. and she was a welcome treat every time yeah. she showed up. Thank God for Uno O'Connor. You, you've you've seen Uno O'Connor because you've seen Bride of Frankenstein, but yeah. yeah. Golly, you know, Connor. She's the best. Yeah. This movie is funny. Mm-hmm. It's sexy for its time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's subversive. Uh, it's intelligent. Um, I love this movie, and I watch it every single Christmas. And uh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's the best. It's the bee's knees. Okay. And you're number one. I haven't seen it. <laughs> I Really? I haven't seen Christmas in Connecticut. Oh my god, I should, yeah. I should loan that to you this year. I think you'd like right. it. Yeah. Maybe. I've, I've seen Schwarzenegger's. I've seen Schwarzenegger's watch, Christmas I in Connecticut. You, I should show you the good one. Where? It's weird that you've seen the the, the TV remake that, and not the original. That, that's that's that, weird. That holds true for a lot of stuff you might find. I where know. I've seen like the remakes and the reboots and the sequels, but I have not seen the originals. Well, like, you're, I've, I've, but you're a film critic. Frequently, you hmm. go back and find the originals. Anyway, it's just odd that this so, one never came up. Uh, yeah. Well, and and as I've mentioned ad infinitum on this show. Uh, Hollywood, like the the quote golden age of Hollywood, is my biggest blind spot. Yeah, uh, that was just never a pool I got into. I was busy swimming all these other obscure things. Like I'm busy watching, you know, Frank Henenlotter's Basket Case Two for the third time, rather than watching Christmas in Connecticut. It's one of the reasons I love it. You, uh, you have a different perspective, man. And, you, didn't, you, the, didn't, you weren't raised on all the movies everyone else was. No, I, I was raised on. I wasn't raised on movies. I didn't get into movies until a little later, but. Uh, my number one film maybe reflects that because it's more a Halloween movie than a Christmas movie. <laughs> and it's uh, Henry Selick's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Or I love Henry, Henry Selick's Tim Burton's The Night Before Christmas. I, 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 the argument over whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie, which, by the way, neither of us picked Die Hard, it's a great movie. I, mean, oh, I think it is a Christmas movie, but I just argue it's not Christmassy the, enough to be on my the, list. One of the best, if not the best, action movie. Uh, but uh, the argument over whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie is irrelevant. Mm. Of course it is. It's got mm. Christmas. Mm. Uh Nightmare for Christmas is an interesting conundrum because it's like, is it a Halloween movie mm. or a Christmas movie? And the answer, of course, is yes. Uh, well, it's both. That's if, literally the premise. If I had to select, I'd say it's a Halloween movie because it's sort of about how Halloween is infecting Christmas. Mm-hmm. But it's also about how Christmas revealed to the main character what they were missing. I would argue that because uh, the movie doesn't exist... Yeah. Without Halloween, mm. it's kind of a Halloween movie. Yeah, there you go. But the plot doesn't exist without Christmas. Mm. 
So, uh, so I think they're just functionally. I've made the argument both ways in the past. I just think it's they're both. It's, yeah, it's it, it has it's, to be both. It's kind of a cliche to like the Nightmare Before Christmas. At some point in the two thousands, it became super overexposed. When uh, it was released as a touchstone film, yeah, Disney wanted so, to distance themselves. Yeah, from this so th- movie. this was not a this was not a Disney property. It was a touchstone property. They were trying to sell it sort of as one of their side uh, studios, mm. and it wasn't a huge hit when it came out. Uh, only like weirdos and goth kids like me were really kind of glomming onto it, and me, uh, yeah, yeah, and. Uh, you know, it, it was a Tim Burton joint. It was based on a poem of his. He did all of the production design. It's based on drawings of his. He's a heavy, heavy uh, creative influence, even though Henry Selick was the director. He, uh, Tim Burton uh, wanted to direct it, but he was under contract to do Batman Returns at the same time, and he couldn't. Yeah. And, so and he also, did it's a stop-motion animated film, which takes yeah. a long time. Also, Batman Returns yeah. is also a great Christmas movie. Indeed it is. But it wasn't until... The Disney company realized that it was getting this sort of huge, this kind of growing cult following, and they were booking it at like midnight screenings a and lot. And there were lots of marketing opportunities yeah. as more goth stuff started becoming yeah, more popular yeah, with, yeah, the, hot, with Hot, hot topic, topic. Yeah, started rising in. So they, hey, wait a minute, we could like market the shit out of this thing, and all of a sudden you can get fingerless Jack Skellington gloves and Sally dresses. To be and, fair, I own a lot of that stuff. Oh, yeah, oh, I mean, <laughs> it, it was exciting. There was a time when that kind of stuff was still exciting because you couldn't get a lot of like your favorite movie if you were into cult movies you couldn't get a lot of your favorite stuff licensed you couldn't yeah, get like couldn't your get favorite movie pre- yeah. Your, yeah. Like, it was really rare to have a Hellraiser t-shirt now that shit's everywhere it's, it's meaningless now but there, there was a, there, but there was a time there was a time when uh, when the, yeah that was kind of meaningful and it during and that's when uh, Disney rebranded it they took the, the touchstone card off of it yeah. They put the Disney logo on the title card, I believe, which is mm-hmm. Disney's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Assholes. They changed Disneyland to match it. So now when you go to the Haunted Mansion at, around Christmas time, they've changed it to The Nightmare Before Christmas, which I've I still, object to. I've still never been to that. And that's I, not, I, I'm not, it's not because I object. I actually think that's kind of neat because yeah. one of the issues with Disney was that it was always supposed to be malleable at Disneyland. Uh-huh. There were always supposed to be things that would change or alter with the season or like rides that would be cycled out. It was yeah. supposed to be an ever evolving experience. So the idea of the Haunted Mansion being Christmassy for a couple of mm-hmm. months. I yeah. have no objection to that. I hear it's kind of neat. I've never been. Yeah, it's just I, never I, come up. I've never I, been to Disneyland at that time of year. I, I'm not a, not a big fan of Disneyland. I just, I hope I never have to go again. But, <laughs> I but think I, it is a marvel of of landscaping, la- landscaping, production <laughs> design. All that stuff's really impressive. It's actually really cool. Yeah. It's a cool place to visit. I'm not gonna mm. lie. I, I, you know, mm. we we criticize Disney mm. as well we should yeah but they do some things right and disneyland is a mm. cool theme park i will say that much yeah and and i, I don't have to go again <laughs> if i never go i'll be fine yeah, yeah i'm sure your kid will never ask to go to disneyland his friends can take him it's fine <laughs> you can go with a friend you can have uh, these memories with someone else's dad exactly <laughs> Someone else's dad will do fine for disneyland anyway okay. the plot of nightmare the plot of it is uh there is a a, a a city devoted to each secular holiday, <laughs> or, or religious holiday, or religious holiday. Oh, and Easter is one of the, in there yeah. too. But um, yeah, every each, major holiday has its own each, city. Each major American holiday has its own hidden magical city where uh, that is devoted to the trappings of that holiday. Yeah, and evidently they are the ones who are staging it, making sure that holiday goes off. Yeah. Halloween is ruled over by an ineffectual mayor, and their star citizen is Jack Skellington, who is voiced by Chris Sarandon speaking, Danny Elfman singing. Uh, Danny Elfman was supposed to do singing, uh, speaking as well, but there was some weird uh, rigmarole that Danny Elfman is still very upset about. Oh, I didn't actually, I wasn't uh, aware of that. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Chris Sarandon's yeah, really good, though. Danny Elf- this is Danny Elfman's moment to shine. He wrote all of the songs. He wrote all of the music. The songs are um, great. They're so, like, they're so perfect and yet so slightly wrong for this off. kind of thing. Listen, they're not, listen they're to not... the first couplets of the first songs. Yeah. Boys and girls of every age, would you like to see something strange? That's a slant rhyme. Yep. Uh, come with us and you will see this our town of Halloween, which is weird meter, and it's also a slant rhyme. Yeah. <laughs> like, so already, it's yeah. already just from the opening lines of, uh-huh. the, of the music... We're in weird territory, and this is already for weird kids. Yeah. Love it. Well, and it, it, it sounds like a Gregorian chant. Like, there's all these really weird, like, how is there not syncopations been, that are going on. How has there not been a Night Before Christmas Broadway show? I'm, I'm surprised they haven't that tried actually, that. actually, I would love to see, I would love to see the pageantry yeah. of that come off. Well, I mean, they, they do, like, concerts at Hollywood Bowl and I, stuff, I know, where Danny I, I want, and all the cast comes back, and they'll see I want to go full Julie yeah. Taymor on it. I want to go just completely <laughs> bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to see all this shit come to life. That'd be cool. Beetlejuice is on Broadway now. So, They're taking yeah. it down. They're taking it down now, but it was a big hit. No, it was a big hit. That's the thing. It was a big hit, but they have to vacate the space anyway, Mm -hmm. even though it's making tons of money, because the (laughs) Broadway system is fucked right now. It's really funny. It's a cool article about it right Mm -hmm. now. You can Google it. I forget what it was. It's only a matter of time before they get to Nightmare Before Christmas. You'll get your wish. Uh, but yeah, uh, Jack Skellington has grown tired of Halloween. He wants—he's well, burned out. He just out of yeah, ideas. Just he so, so he many, so many ghosts, and he doesn't—he yeah. doesn't know how to feel about this anymore. And in sort of his malaise, he wanders out into the woods where he finds the doorways to all of the the holiday villages. Mm-hmm. He's drawn to the Christmas door, falls in, finds Santa Claus and candy and all of the trappings of Christmas, and says, "This is what I need." Yeah, this is such a great change of pace. Let's yeah, So he, he brings it back and says, hey, instead of doing Halloween this year, let's do Christmas. And they don't understand Christmas. And so they filter Christmas through the lens through of, of mo- horror. Of monsters. How would a monster think Christmas? And again, of course, Jack has to sell it as it's this monstrous thing. It's like this monster called Sandy Claus. Yeah. Or he's trying to show him like... sneak into your house and leave monsters behind. We yeah. pick up this oversized sock <laughs> and hang it like this on a wall. Oh, yes, does they still have a foot? <laughs> Yeah. Let me see. Let me look. Is it rotten and covered in gunk? So great. Yeah. Um, yeah. They don't understand it, but they start doing sort of this monster version of Christmas, and Jack's all about it. And he realizes that through this process, he's actually rekindling his love for Halloween. Yeah. Not Christmas. Yeah. But he just needed and, a break. He just needed a day off. That's it's all yeah, he needed. And it's not until the very end of the movie where we actually have a coda between Jack and Sally, the stuffed like Frankensteinian doll that's been created by the local mad scientist, are both experiencing a similar malaise. She knows what it is. Yeah. And it takes him to the very end of the movie to figure out because he's a clueless dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they realize that what Christmas has been providing them is love. And that's what's been missing in their lives. It's a beautiful story. It's, it kind of makes me cry a little bit when really I see brilliant. it. And it's really This was at a time yeah. when... There, it, this isn't the first feature-length stop-motion movie, but this was the first feature-length stop-motion movie that was a big A-level production in America. Yeah. And you know Tim Burton was able to do that because Batman was such a big hit. He had a little freedom. And it, it works because... It fits into the tradition mm. of stop motion in America, where a lot of people were most familiar with it. I mean, yeah, from like visual effects spectaculars like mm. Clash of the Titans or Jason and the Argonauts, but on its own. Uh-huh. 
a lot of people knew stop motion animation best from its use in Rankin Bass Christmas specials and, and Halloween specials and Halloween. Yeah. There were no Halloween specials. Mad Monster Party. That's not really a Halloween special. Well, that's, 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 a, a, that's a feature film. That's just yeah. a fe- that's a feature film. And I'll yeah. give you that. But they never did a Rankin Bass Halloween special mm. like they did for Christmas. Because for Christmas they did the origin of Rudolph. They did the origin of Santa Claus, mm-hmm. which is actually quite good. <laughs> and you should totally check it out. Santa Claus is coming to town. It explains every facet of Santa Claus mm-hmm. and why he ended up that way. It's really fun. Um, but they've never done a Halloween one. Mm-hmm. This is the Halloween one. So immediately the film fits with, even though it's completely new and strange, it fits within a grand tradition. And mm-hmm. we were all able to sort of accept it if we had like the childlike spirit. And we remembered Rudolph. And we remembered, you know, well, Santa Claus is coming to town, but like all those others. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of perfect. It filled a niche that people didn't realize they needed. Mm-hmm. And that's really great. It's a wonderful... I have this whole it's, movie memorized. I could, <laughs> I could literally do the entire movie. Yeah. Dialogue and songs. There's, I, would, I, I used to be time I could do it off the top of my head. Mm. I probably could now, but I I, I I still have the soundtrack record on cassette. <laughs> wow. From, uh, from back in the day when I bought it. It was one of those things where the cassette like got completely mangled and I was able to repair it. Oh, nice. I was very proud of myself. I was uh, bummed in the soundtrack because um, they... They changed the narration. They changed the narration. They, they, they added narration, I think, to sort of give the story a sense of completeness. Well, also, it's the audio version, so it needs to be a little bit more uh, explicit. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, they, mm. they, they gave you a little bit more narration, but they didn't get the guy who narrated the movie. They got, this is awesome, mm. they got Patrick Stewart. Uh-huh. Which is cool, but I remember listening to it, and like, it was the this, only this time... This is not I, what I'm used to. This is yeah. the only time I've ever been bummed to hear Patrick Stewart's voice. Mm. <laughs> I was listening to that soundtrack, I'm like, I'm curious. that's not the guy. And curiously, it's Patrick, Patrick Stewart doing a voice. Yeah. Like, he's doing, like, this old, this, like, crotchety old man by a fire I wonder, kind of voice. I wonder if he was originally going to do the movie, and it just didn't work out or something. I, it's very I'm, strange. I'm guessing not. I'm not exactly sure how I don't know. Patrick Stewart. I would love to hear the story it, behind that. I don't know that one. Mm. I know a lot of stories about this movie, but I don't know that mm. one. Um, anyway, so those are our lists of the best Christmas we ever. Do you have any runners up? You want to? I, I didn't write any down. Let me look in Alonso's book here. I, I'll, I'll give of... you a few because I, I agonized yeah. over this. Uh, I've mentioned it before, uh, but Millions by Danny Boyle is that one is of the great, great modern yeah, Christmas that is movies. A great movie. Uh, Rare Exports, I would argue, is the best Christmas horror movie we've had this mm-hmm. decade. A really great movie about the original storyline mm-hmm. for Santa in which he was evil and did kidnap kids and he's brought back to life today. It's like a Spielberg directed a Christmas horror mm-hmm. movie. That's Rare Exports. It's great. Uh, Ernest Saves Christmas is surprisingly good. It's a good Christmas movie. It holds up really well. well. People people like to slam Ernest. I, I, there are a lot of bad Ernest movies, and I've seen them all. But, but like the uh, first two are pretty damn good, especially the, the, especially Saves Christmas. I would say uh, Ernest Goes to Camp, middling. It's Ernest fine. Saves, Ernest Saves Christmas is very good. Yeah. Ernest Goes to Jail, very good. Uh, and then Ernest Scared Stupid, passable. I, I, it has it has a charm. It has a charm. As a kids Halloween movie. Yeah. That's a cute movie. Ernest Rides Again is the pits, and the, all the straight to video ones are, are terrible. Wait, Ernest but, yeah. Christmas is rock but solid. Er, Ernest as a character, I think, is a good comedic creation. Well, they I'll, also I'll go on record. They for also that. cast the perfect Santa Claus in that movie. That's a great Santa Claus. Yeah, I think his movie. name is what Neem was his name. I don't know. Forgot the. Uh, name, let's see yeah. what he got here. Uh, Gremlins is a great Christmas movie. It's another, <laughs> one, it's another one about burning it all down. Mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, the Bells of St. Mary's with uh, Bing Crosby and Ingrid Bergman. Oh, which is the sequel to Going My Way. Yeah, it's yeah. a very, very sweet movie. Ingrid Bergman is perfect in that movie. She's so yeah. good. Uh, Die Hard made my special. Uh, mm-hmm. The Man Who Came to Dinner, which is about um, a radio personality played by Monty.
Rocky Woolley, uh, who is based on Alexander Wolcott, mm. who uh, breaks his leg and ends up staying in a house with like a small town family for the holidays, mm. and he's a big pain in the ass, and it's really funny. <laughs> uh, Scrooge made my runners mm. up. Uh, Klaus made my runners up. Klaus is great. Give Klaus yeah. time. Klaus, yeah, Klaus the, the new animated Klaus, film yeah. on Netflix, give that time. It's already, That's going to be a classic. It's already growing. I think it's going to be a classic. I think Netflix, if they're wise, will bring it back every year. And then my last um, one was uh, Batman Returns, which, oh, is, yeah. which is a great Christmas movie. Um, and arguably yeah. one of, if not the best Batman movies. Uh, Fanny and Alexander. Uh, uh, Ingman Bergman, never seen it. Ingmar Bergman, Ingmar Bergman, Ingmar Bergman's uh, <laughs> Fanny and Alexander from uh, the early '80s. Yeah. It, it was in Sweden. It was a five-hour miniseries. In the U.S., it was released as a three-hour feature film. Uh, both versions are great, uh, and yeah, it's Ingmar Bergman shoots. Well, he and Sven Mikvis just shoot the hell out of that thing. So yeah. it, it is like all the right colors. It is just beautifully photographed, and you get to see this really kind of stead Swedish Protestant family and how they experience Christmas and how a lot of it falls apart over the course of the film. Cool. Um, you can do it. Read I'm, the book. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at... Uh, <laughs> Read the book, I'm looking at the, the index of uh, Alonso Durale's book Did elves here, make so. it onto your runners-up? Uh, I wish... Elves sucks. Doesn't so. it? But it sucks in a glorious I, it's, way. It's, it's, it's yeah, a really interesting kind of bad, so I can recommend <laughs> it, but I'm not going to say it's one of the best Christmas movies of <laughs> okay. all time. Uh, Eyes Wide Shut is a good Christmas movie. It is Kubrick's in a weird way, film. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah, it ends at F.A.O. Schwartz, so yeah, it's a Christmas <laughs> movie. I forgot about that. I have not seen Elf. I've heard oh, good things about it's, Elf. It's, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not in love with Elf, but it's very funny. Yeah. It's a very funny movie. Um, Tales from the Crypt has one of the best Killer Santa segments ever. Yeah, it, the whole You're... thing is not a Christmas movie, but the opening mm. scary story is a great Christmas horror story. Right? Yeah, yeah. About, well, it's it's about how Santa's coming into your house, but Santa's here to murder you and you're trying to keep him out. Yeah. And he's trying to murder you, not because he's a psychopath, although he is. He's trying to murder you because you are also a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> Golly, I love Tales from the Crypt. It's a really good movie. Hey, no, no cats. <laughs> Bad cats. Yeah. Dude. All right. Uh, yeah. All all of Shane Black's movies, Long Kiss Goodnight and, yeah. and Iron Man Three, are all really terrific. Um. Yeah, I guess that's it. Okay. There's plenty of Christmas movies out there. Let us know yours uh, mm-hmm. when we tweet this out. Go to at Critic Acclaim. Mm-hmm. Uh, leave us a message. We'd love to hear it. Uh, if you want to go into any more depth about our holiday choices, be sure to email us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, if you want to join us and get uh, bonus podcasts mm-hmm. for your trouble. Uh, you go to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have more Christmassy stuff coming over mm-hmm. there because we're going to be doing a review mm-hmm. of two of the made for TV remakes mm-hmm. of Miracle on 34th Street. Three, if I can track the other one down, but it looks like that might be impossible. I'm going to try. Yeah. I uh, I recently sent some presents to some of our Patreon subscribers. That's nice. Little little Christmas treat is coming in the mail for the for the top tier subscribers. For, for the top tier subscribers. Yeah, we really appreciate yeah. you. We need to uh, schedule a new Google if, Hangout. As if well. you're international, maybe not just because it's difficult to get packages to you. But yeah, sorry uh, about yeah, that. Th- that's. That's just li- limitations of my budget, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, we're doing the best we can. But, uh, yeah, we have a bunch of cool stuff coming uh, on the Patreon. Whitney's going out of town for the holidays, mm. so we're going to try to cram as much as we can in the next week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we're going to try to get as much done as possible. Uh, but stick around. we got more cool stuff coming uh, on the podcast. Uh, we've got Max Hedrum coming on Cancel Too Soon. Uh, we've got more movie reviews coming at Critically Acclaimed. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have our best movies of the year and our best movies of the decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I'm very excited to get to. Whittling that sucker down to 10 is going to be nearly impossible. It's been a really great decade for cinema. For, uh, for, 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 for the cinema, are you? For, or, or film. <laughs> if you prefer. Yeah, it's for, for the yeah. cinema, it's been a really, really great. Um, now, uh, no, uh, no, number one, Mandy, that's all you need. <laughs> 
that wouldn't even surprise me if that C- was your number C- one. Cinema begins and ends with man. That really wouldn't surprise me if that was your number one. Um, and uh, maybe, maybe not, but it's on the list. Okay. Uh, but yeah, and so that's that's about that. Uh, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, and um, I forget how we end these lists. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what?